a creepy story to lead off sports talk that Adrian just had during uh, Sports Center regarding Rich Dalrymple, who was essentially Jerry Jones's right-hand man running media relations for 30-plus with the Cowboys before he suddenly uh, retired uh, not too long ago. And then we find out this story. Oh, my God. That's just that, – that's awful. Absolutely awful. And by the way, ESPN, this is not a one-minute read. This story that they put up today is about a 10-minute read. And I mean, it is, it's, it's outside the lines. So when it's an outside-the-lines story, you know it's good. And yuck, this one is bad, man. There is nothing, there is nothing positive when you read uh, Don Van Natta Jr.'s story they put up at, just after noon today in El Paso. There's nothing in this story that will make you feel good at all. And I've known Rich uh, ever since I started covering the Cowboys, which would be, what, you know, college. I mean, I started doing stuff with the Cowboys when I was at UT in the early 90s, right, when he first came on board. And uh, let me just say this, all right? Media relations people are kind of, they're, they're guarded, and they're always the people that are supposed to be like the gatekeepers. Um, some are nicer than others, all right, especially to stations like us in El Paso. I mean, there are some people that could not be nicer and absolutely roll out the red carpet for us. Rich was never one of those. So, uh, unfortunately. But you read this story, and uh, yeah, this one, this is this, this disturbing. That's all you can say. I mean, if, if allegedly it's true, and I'll say this, I don't know why the Cowboys would pay four cheerleaders $2.4 million if this wasn't true. And what's even more disturbing is how Rich could keep his job for the last six years since this uh, incident uh, happened in 2015. And, you know, Cowboys claim that Rich did nothing wrong, yet they paid four uh, individuals, you know, a combined $2.4 million, which I think included legal fees as well. And, uh, yeah, it's there's nothing positive about this story at all if you're a Cowboys fan. Bad look on the organization. And what's even creepier is that in the same story, they talk about how some lifelong Cowboys fan is watching a live stream of the draft on 2015, and he notices that Dalrymple has taken shots of Charlotte Jones up her skirt. And that's even more creepy. Like That's Jerry's daughter. Good Lord. Don't do it to Jerry's daughter. Like and It's going to get back but, to him. But Jerry didn't fire the guy. That's what I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. The whole thing is just weird. I, I just, what can I tell you, man? You know, say what you want about certain teams and individuals and then these kind of stories, and uh, this is not good. Not good at all. It's not a good look. Yeah, no, not at all. And and there are quotes here, Steve, some real alarming quotes uh, from, from certain individuals that they bring up where they uh, specifically told him, I mean, when you're talking about the cheerleaders undressing, they specifically said, hey, what are you doing over there? What You're not supposed to be in here. He had no business having any sort of access to the area where the four cheerleaders were dressing. And uh, this is a disgusting story for so many reasons. There, There is no place for sexual harassment or assault in workplace environments. And uh, this this is a horrible story and bad look for the Cowboys. Terrible look. I mean, it's exactly right. Terrible, terrible look. 100% agree with you. Hey, by the way, uh, UTEP was supposed to play at 5 o'clock in softball against UT Arlington. That game has now been moved to 6 p.m. due to the high winds. And let me tell you, Adrian was on the road. I went on the road. I drove east. 
Um, at times, it was so windy and so nasty that you felt like uh, you could eat the sand. It was blowing that hard at you uh, on the road. So, yeah, it has been a nasty, nasty day in El Paso, and thus the softball game that was supposed to start at 5 has been moved um, back an hour to 6 p.m. tonight against UT Arlington out at uh, Helen of Troy Softball Complex. And by the way, you know, the uh, softball team is off to a nice start. They lose their first game to Idaho State. Then they win the next four against Idaho State, Abilene Christian, and Creighton. And then they lose the uh, finale on Sunday, 5-1. But still, a positive start, Adrian. 4-2 and with their first six. Yeah, most definitely a good start for this team. And they need that good kind of start. This is a tough league that they play in. And, and you heard the TJ Hubbard tell us that uh, early, uh, you know, last week when he joined us on the show. And yeah, it, it looks like, kind of reminds me of Tatooine, like Star Wars Tatooine outside. It is crazy winds. Uh, like, And it, it just takes up the whole sky. I mean, you can't even see uh, the the blue in the outside sky because of all the winds going on. No, you're on. right. Absolutely right. Hey, by the way, um, speaking of UT Arlington, they're 0-4. They lost 3-1 to to Western Kentucky. Then they lose 9-0 to Texas A&M, 2-0 to Texas A&M Corpus Christi, and 9-1 again to A&M in the uh, Aggie Classic. So they haven't played any games at home. All the games have been uh, either a neutral uh, against schools like Western or Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, or just road games because the whole thing was played in College Station. So they're 0-4 uh, coming into the UTEP game tonight at 6 o'clock. So hopefully the Miners can improve to 5-2 and and uh, keep this thing going against UT Arlington. Oh, most definitely, and I feel like for this team, uh, kind of again, like you heard from T.J. Hubbard earlier last week, you know, pitching is key for this group. Let's see what they can do today, and uh, yeah, I, I feel for everybody out there it, with all these wins going on. We're loaded on the show, by the way. That's uh, one thing I will say. Jay Jaffe will join us on our hotline coming up in a little more than 10 minutes from now. Then at 5, John Bohannon via Zoom, who is playing his third season for the Maine Celtics in the G League. So we'll get Big Bo on the show. Then Jeff Erickson at 520 from Rotowire, and we'll wrap it up with Ben Carlisle from Bleed Tech Blue at 6 to give us a preview on the rematch tomorrow. By the way, we're only on for an hour tomorrow until 5 o'clock, and then we go right to John, and their game starts in Ruston at 530 tomorrow. That's exactly right, and this is the day where we talk sports. So, uh, you know, you can get your all your sports fixing today as we get ready for a big basketball day tomorrow. Both the men and the women need wins tomorrow, Steve. Let's be honest. When, you know, when it comes to La Tech, the women uh, are coming back to town, and they need a win at home. And, and uh, you know, fortunately for them, they're at the Haskins Center. For the men, uh, this is going to be a challenge for them tomorrow, going up against one of the best in La Tech. Oh, no doubt about it. And, I mean, we saw what happened the first time around. Hopefully this will be a different outcome for the Miners. But you also wonder, I mean – they did a really good job of shutting down Lofton offensively last game, even though he still grabbed 18 rebounds to go along with his 11 points, but everybody else beat him. So now what happens here? Does Lofton get his points and you try to shut everybody else down around him? I, I wonder how Joe Golding is going to change things up this time around. Yeah, I, I always think that too. Is like, well, What's this team going to do to adjust? And people always come back and say, well, this team is kind of is what it is. They don't really adjust too much. I, I tend to disagree because when things aren't going right, when you lost back, back 
back-to-back games like the Miners have, something has to change. And whether it's mm-hmm. defensive concepts that have to change for this game in the preparation, or if it's you know uh, instilling some new uh, ideas offensively, they've got to adjust. Uh, you know, here at this point of the season and come back a little bit better than what we've seen these past uh, or the past week. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So we'll do that with uh, Ben Carlisle coming up at six o'clock. Hey, meanwhile. I don't know if you saw this from Joe Tipton, who is a national recruiting expert for On3 Sports. He just tweeted out today that he spoke to K.J. Lewis, and K.J.'s list is down to eight schools. And by the way, UTEP is not one of the eight. So I know the Miners were in on K.J. He visited. They, They were hoping that he would at least keep his hometown school in the running. But here is your final eight. Alabama. Arizona, Arkansas, Baylor, Houston, Memphis, Texas Tech, and UCLA. Really nice list right there for the Chapin Jr. Uh, I don't think this is surprising at all. We've alluded to it on our show, saying that we'd be surprised if K.J. Lewis left. Now, a couple things to mention with K.J. This is interesting because Chapin's the top team in the city for sure. No doubt about that. He's a top player in the city. No doubt about that either. I will say he's dropped out of a lot of recruiting uh, uh, rankings, and I I know that doesn't mean uh, a lot to some people locally, but, hey, it means a lot to K.J. Lewis, who who is really trying to uh, get get his, uh, I guess, kind of market himself and get yeah. the most exposure that he can before he makes his big decision. I wonder if, I, I'm always wondering, does he decide to leave early? Does he decide to come back for his senior year? And when I mean leave early, graduate early and and maybe decide between one of these eight schools. I think they're all really interesting selections right there and interesting that he narrows the list down to eight following his official visit to Texas Tech. Now, the on3.com website has him listed 27th overall probably the most generous ranking of all the major recruiting services right now right because i think between 247 and espn they've got them pretty much like closer to 50 yeah, you're right, and I don't even know if ESPN still has him on the list right now. I, I haven't checked recently. I, I remember like all the way back last year, December 10th, he cracked the top 25 of that list. So uh, I, these lists always fluctuate. Sometimes they they want to drop your ranking simply because one guy saw you at a certain combine. Um, no, uh, actually, 247 Sports right now still ranks him as the number third prospect in Texas, the number 15th shooting guard overall, the number 6th uh, Texas prospect overall, but he's ranked 65th yeah. uh, in two by two four seven sports. Not a top, uh, not a five star no. recruit anymore. He's a four star. And meanwhile, he's out of the top 60 at ESPN, so he's not even listed right now. 84. They've got what's that? I say I'm, I'm looking at their the scout grade is 84 right now. 17 by position, 10 regional, seven state. So yeah, he's out of that. Yeah. So again, he has fallen. Um, nonetheless, uh, UTEP is not in the equation. Now, I'll say this, okay? Every school there is a really good basketball program. But, you know, UTEP's not on the same level as Houston. They're not on the same level as Memphis. Those are AAC schools that have done very, very well. But everybody else is, you know, Alabama, SEC, Arizona, Pac-12, Arkansas, SEC, Baylor, Big 12, Texas Tech, Big 12, UCLA, 
um, Pac, uh, Pac-12. Surprised that Arizona got in the mix since they got in so late in the game compared to everybody else. I'm not because they were in constant communication. I know they didn't offer him officially. That That's something to, to note, but uh, I believe the coach's name, Robinson. Uh, also, the other coaches, I think his name is Lloyd. Those two have visited El Paso frequently to come watch K.J. Lewis, so I'm not surprised on that. Not surprised Memphis is also on this list. They He took that official visit to Memphis and uh, toured the facilities over there, and I know Texas Tech has been to El Paso a lot, yep. so those are some schools that are pretty high on him, I would say. Now, let me say this. Would it have been nice to have UTEP in the mix in the final eight? Absolutely. But on the flip side, maybe KJ's doing everybody here a favor, because if UTEP was really never in the equation, why make him a finalist? There's no reason to. I mean, the Miners, look, they did show interest early. Joe Golding made it a priority to come watch him play. The Miners want K.J. Lewis, but you also are realistic. When you've got Power Fives up the wazoo looking at you right now, it's difficult to suddenly say, I'm going to stay home and go play UTEP, especially since he's been leaving town and training all summer long the last couple years, having no trouble getting out of El Paso. So if he's if he's willing to commit and go all over the country playing in tournaments to showcase his skills, then obviously he wants to go bigger than UTEP. Yeah, and he wants to go bigger than these schools right here, Arizona, Memphis, Texas Tech. He wants to go to the NBA so he's probably looking at what is my best route in order to try to develop my skills and get to the NBA as quick as possible because as soon as you turn 19 20 years old that's already too old to be in the NBA draft it sounds ridiculous but that's just the way it is nowadays 18 year olds come out as one and done players and NBA scouts are looking for those guys on three.com believes that his um his actual decision will come down to Texas Tech or Arizona. That that's probably going to be, even though those are the eight, it's probably going to come down to Texas Tech or Arizona to decide where he goes. Um, he also said that he's going to make his decision in the next three to five weeks. Wow, that's awesome for KJ. I mean, congrats to him if, if that's the timeline he's looking at. Again, I'm, I'm curious, Steve, does he decide to leave early and graduate from Chapin this year instead of next year? He's a class of 2023 prospect, but we know that there are a lot of guys who do that. They reclassify, they graduate early, and they get their degree. Uh, so I'm curious to see if that's Listen, the case. I think he's going to Arizona. He says in the story it's his dream school. Wow. So if it's his dream school, school i mean why would you say no that's right you're exact we got to bring kj in and be interesting and, and just hear from him how these uh recruiting experiences have gone i would like to know that see we can get him on the show yeah. uh, here in the next uh, week or so before we'll he makes a decision that. please hey, uh chapin's getting ready for the playoffs anyway that's so right. that'd be perfect timing when we return jay jaffe's gonna talk a little baseball and beer with us at 16 pass let's go to charlie one and get our first traffic update of the afternoon 20 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Uh, We just received word that the softball game tonight has been canceled due to high winds. So the Miners are supposed to play UT Arlington. No more. And uh, it's unfortunate. Well, I was I was kind of hoping this would be maybe made up tomorrow, but if Arlington's got to go back home, then they might not get a, pl- a chance to play this this game tomorrow. Yeah, they might not, Steve. And the weather is just not uh, not good outside right now for a game of softball. Lots of wind, lots and lots of wind. That's for sure. However, we're going to shift it over and talk a little baseball right now with us, uh, our friend Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs.com. and uh, we talk a little uh, baseball and beer with our. Uh, 
analyst uh, from every uh, week here on the program. Well, Jay, another week, uh, another uh, situation to where the lockout continues. But maybe, maybe there's hope after all, since we found out about an hour ago that the uh, players will be presenting to the owners tomorrow at 11 a.m. Um, you know, I, I guess there's, I guess you can call that hope, and that yeah, I think it's better that the two sides have a dialogue than not. Um, they're so far apart right now that I'm not terribly optimistic uh, that, that this is going to be settled anytime soon. Um, you know, the, the, the uh, proposal that the owners brought on uh, Saturday was, was not particularly well received by the players. They felt that uh, uh, there had been very, very little cha- change uh, from the previous offer. I went through a lot of that stuff uh, in my analysis at Fangraphs the other day, and uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe there'll be a breakthrough here, but um you know to me it's the players are, are i think uh uh need, you know they want to get more out of the owners than the owners are offering i mean i, I we we've, we've shown at fangraphs for example that the competitive balance tax structure uh would actually be worse for the players than the previous um uh cba and and uh, as a starting point, that's not a good place to be for the players. You had some great uh, tweets embedded in your article. I love the the one about Alex Wood talking about uh, potential penalties increasing under the collective bargaining agreement with the luxury tax uh, you know, threshold. That was an interesting uh, one in itself. And, I mean, the more you read into this, again, I, I don't know how anybody could really side with the owners. It just seems to me like it is so clear-cut that uh, you know, the players do want to get themselves back. They want to start, uh, but the owners just haven't really done much in terms of trying to uh, negotiate. No, they haven't. And, and uh, um, you know, the, the players, I mean, I think there's, there's, there is room for some concessions on their side, but, you know, they've already, they've already made some major concessions by not pursuing, um, you know, a shortened time to free agency or, um, you know, shortened time to arbitration, except for, you know, maybe something in the Super 2 uh, tweaking the super, the super two uh, cutoffs and things like that. Um, the owners are basically offering something that you know barely. You know, for example, the 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 um, uh, minimum salary barely keeps up with the cost of living increase uh, from the last CBA. Um, you know, these are not uh, particularly generous offers, and uh, um, you know the, the players aren't going to catch up in in one fell swoop from uh, the ground that they lost in the last CBA. But uh, I think. You know, if there's going to be hope of a deal, they have they have to believe they're they're gain, they're regaining some ground here, and that the owners aren't uh, simply creating a system that's just that's just rife with loopholes that they're going to exploit for the next five years. Meanwhile, speaking of loopholes, I was reading a story in the Athletic Jay about uh, players that are on the forty man or were on the forty man, but never actually played in the big leagues. And ultimately, they're in a weird spot right now. They're kind of in limbo where uh, they're still technically part of the players union, even though they um, ultimately are not really being protected right now. And they're not able because of that to sign um, a minor league contract. So it's it's kind of weird. There's there, there, I don't know how many of those players there are that are out there, but I was reading about some that ultimately were um, originally added to the 40-man and then uh, but never made it to the big leagues. And now, because they're technically part of that group, but they might not be part of a team, they, there's no place for them to sign. Yeah, boy, that sounds that sounds like a real bite. I'll have to I'll have to look into that. I didn't see that article, but you know, there are plenty of players on the forty man rosters who've never actually been in the major leagues yet. Um, you know, they've they're they're in a they, they exist 
strange place because of uh, uh, you know the lockout and the, and the various distinctions. Like you said, I'll have to look into this one because I'm I'm not exactly sure uh, what what's going on there. But it's a it's it, you know, paralyzed. Yep. Uh, in some ways, by what they can do, that that much I know. So uh, it's it was a, it was written by Eno Saris and uh, okay. Brittany Garoli um, earlier yeah. in, the, in the morning, and it's called "A Lockout Spent in Limbo." And uh, yeah, it's 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 wild, and I mean, um, but you know, that's just uh, that's just how things kind of work, and yeah, it's it's confusing. Um, I guess they're covered players. Who are looking for minor league deals is the best way to put it, and gotcha. that's and that's just the way it is. So yeah, you know, um, difficult, and yet we are getting minor leaguers now returning to Florida and Arizona for their spring training, which will get started in about a week or two. So we're starting to see the minor leaguers uh, file in, but we're just waiting on the big leaguers. Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be a few weeks before we get much clarity as to as to what's going to happen here. But uh, like you said, you know, they are meeting, so maybe maybe we can uh, we we can view this optimistically. We'll we'll see what happens here. I'm with you on that one. I'm hoping it gets done relatively soon. The only question is also going to be Jay that if spring training starts late, does the schedule get altered, and ultimately will games start to either be canceled or uh, more double headers to make it up? Yeah, I think that probably the the likelihood is that games that are lost, if it's only a few of them, they might be able to make them up. But um, I, you know, I think that uh, uh, for the most part, games that are lost to labor stuff is are are lost, and they're not going to make that up. Um, there is about a two week cushion in terms of shortening spring training. Um, you know, there's uh, uh, you know fewer exhibition games, and and those would get wiped out first. Um, to try to keep opening day intact, Rob Manford said he he thought that the four weeks was was the minimum for what could happen, um, you know, for for spring training. So I think you got to kind of set your watch by that uh, and figure that if uh, if there is not a deal by the end of the by the end of this month, um, you're going to start seeing um, you know plans for you know how how to deal with lost uh, regular season games because that's going to quickly become a necessity. Let's talk about another interesting storyline that broke a couple of days ago when you were writing about it for Fangraphs, and that is that baseball wants to have the ability to eliminate hundreds of minor league playing jobs. That was what they were talking about. I guess it's called the domestic reserve list, which governs the number of minor league players a team can roster at any time. Currently, it's at 180, but what they want to have is the ability to reduce it down to 150 over uh, the rest of the collective bargaining agreement, which ultimately could really uh, eliminate maybe some of the lower A clubs that teams are carrying right now. Yeah, Major League Baseball seems intent on doing what it can to to eliminate baseball. I mean, it's just this, this is so short sighted. Um, you know, they think that they can outsource player development and and use uh, the independent leagues to to do their uh, development for them. I, I you know, the the problem with all of this. And this has been said elsewhere, but the problem with all of this is that what what's happening here is that they're trying they're making the rules to accommodate the stingiest, cheapest um, teams, yep. uh, and letting them make you know letting them drive the rules making. Look, if you want to have 150 players in your minor league system while the New York Yankees have 180, go for it. Let's see where that gets you, you know. But. That's that's your that should be your your decision on how to do that. I mean, just the way it was before, 
you know, if you wanted to have an extra minor league club because you could afford it, you could do that. It costs. I mean, it cost. Somebody showed the calculations the other day. I think it was Dallas Braden uh, tweeted this out. I'm not sure if it was his numbers or somebody else's numbers. It costs 2.5 million in salaries to run a minor league system. 2.5 million. That's not even. That's like the price of you know a a, a veteran middle reliever. Um, you know, uh, on each team. Obviously, there are operation costs that you know that, that make that two that you know that add on to that two point five million. So it's not just player salaries you're talking about, but presumably you're still going to be running those same those same number of clubs uh, now that they've been paired back to uh, um, you know a standardized number per sure. you know, per per team. I, I just don't get this. You're going to lose out on. Um, you know, players who who might not otherwise, you know, who might be like great athletes, but don't necessarily have as much uh, uh, baseball experience, and aren't going to get, you know, the the, the two sport guys that that have op, you know, the opportunity to try to see which sports a better fit. You're going to lose out on a lot of those guys. You're going to lose out on a lot of uh, guys that uh, uh, maybe you know slightly late bloomers and things like that. And I just this is just you know. It's short-sighted, and and I don't really understand what baseball is doing other than letting the McKinseyification of of of, of uh, the minor leagues uh, continue unabated. More with Jay Jaffe as we continue here on Sports Talk, but first, right back to Adrian in this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Go to Fangraphs.com. You can not only see Jay's latest on the owner's offer and the situation involving the the uh, lockout, but also. His Cooperstown Notebook. He's got insights from the spreadsheets. Two-part series. That's also uh, talking about Hall of Fame data. And he includes also the Negro Leagues, post-1940s representation. That's all up at, at Fangraphs.com right now. Uh, Jay, this came in a little while ago from Pinky in Santa Teresa on our mobile app. Who does Jay think is going to give in, players or owners? And then Pinky went on to say, I don't really care. This should have been resolved after the last season. I want my baseball. And I think that that last sentence probably is what a lot of fans are saying right now that aren't following the labor dispute too closely. They, they just want baseball right now. They want to get back. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, I, you know, I think... I, I think the problem is that both is is that people view this through the lens of somebody has to win this, including the owners and the players, and and you know the reality is going to be much more complicated. A good negotiation is one where both sides come away thinking that ah hated to give that up, um, you know because it's that that that's what that's what compromise is about, and the two sides are going to have to find some compromises in order for a deal to get done. Um, you know, as I wrote in my article, the the asymmetry, the the immediate asymmetry favors the players because the players don't get paid for spring training. They're not missing any paychecks here for another six, seven weeks. Uh, the owners, on the other hand, are going to start missing revenue uh, for the for the spring games uh, uh, that that get canceled. So they're going to feel a little bit of a pinch. They're also going to feel feel some outrage, uh, you know, coming to them from from the. Uh, uh, the, the spring training towns that, uh, that 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 they play in, because um, you know they're depriving those markets of tourist dollars, and that was a big part of the pitch to get those ballparks built. There was uh, Bill uh, Bill Shaken had a great article in the Los Angeles Times today uh, on that subject uh, uh, with regards to Arizona, and I have no doubt it's it's, it's similar in Florida. There's uh, you know the potential for lawsuits on you know on the part of those municipalities that uh, uh, you know say they were guaranteed a certain number of games a year. Uh, and they aren't getting them, and therefore they're going to lose some tourist dollars um, because you know nobody's nobody's going to come to spring training. So, 
I don't know who's going to give in. You know, I think this is going to be a compromise, but I think it's going to be a while before that happens. And unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Reaction to the news today that uh, Juan Soto turned down a $350 million contract offer by the Nats uh, prior to the lockout. Yeah, not surprised. I mean, it's, it, that's a, a little bit, uh, you know, it's in the ballpark of what uh, Fernando Tatis got uh, uh, a little over a year ago. Um, Soto has, has uh, I think, arguably uh, moved ahead of Tatis in terms of uh, his, you know, his, his long-term play. The bat, you know, doesn't have the injury concerns. The bat is certainly just absolutely off the charts elite. Um, you know, 350 for 13 years isn't, isn't a horrible opening bid, but... Um, I don't think anybody should be surprised that Soto wants even more than that. I'm with you on that one. I'm interested to see when when he does agree what the dollar total is going to be when it's all said and done. Are you thinking somewhere probably in the the 400 to 450 range? If if that's what you know, if if it's an extension, yes. I think there's probably more likely to be um, just bells and whistles that allow him to opt out of, mm-hmm. of uh, you know somewhere along the way and and get a better deal. It's going to be it's Scott Boris. It's going to be more complicated than than just uh, uh, a straight uh, you know years and dollars type thing. Ryan Zimmerman retires uh, from baseball after 16 years, plays his entire career with the Washington Nationals. Two all-star appearances, a couple of silver sluggers, a gold glove, wins the World Series in 2019. Jay, I I took a good look at his numbers, and I think Zimmerman is that classic case of very good player, but still, when you weigh everything as a body of work, falls very short of what an average Hall of Fame third baseman would be. Yeah, I, I don't see him as a as a as a particularly strong candidate. Like you said, two All Star appearances, uh, one Gold Glove. He had a he had a you know a very nice uh, uh, peak earlier early in his career. Was kind of the face of the Nationals for a while and got to stick around and win win a World Series with them. But you know, really from about 2014 on, he didn't really have many good seasons, um, and he had some pretty bad ones. And uh, was you know was 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 paid handsomely for doing that, but uh, the injuries were just a real ongoing problem for him. Only a hundred games uh, in three of his last what six seven seasons, um, and uh, you know he 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 sat out the uh, uh, the 2020 season due to the, uh, the the pandemic. But it's a nice career, and, and and he'll be celebrated. He'll have his number retired and. You know who knows what else the Nationals would do for him. He's a foundational player, you know, for their franchise, but not somebody I'm going to have to spend a lot of time arguing about over the Hall of Fame. Good point. All right, uh, let's wrap it up before we get your beer pick of the week. I don't know how much you've been following the Tyler Skaggs trial, but uh, it's awful. it's it is awful. And then when you start to realize uh, about how Matt Harvey was really involved in this situation, even worse. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's. The the names out there, you know, are, are are who they are. Obviously, Harvey is the is the biggest name. I didn't like Terry Collins going to the media and and leaking information about uh, uh, Harvey's you know mental health and and uh, conversations that they had that were presumably confidential. That's that was low class. Um, you know, Harvey's a guy whose career kind of went down the tubes after his thoracic outlet surgery injury, and now we have maybe a little bit more insight as to why. Um, we'd heard, you know, if you lived in New York, you heard rumors about about uh, Harvey and the nightlife. Um, certainly, uh, they were around, you know, everywhere I went. I couldn't write about them. I didn't, you know, it, 
the uh, in the end, it was his responsibility to to get control of his life and uh, um, you know pull himself together and 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 perform and and he didn't do that and I guess now we have more more insight as to why it's you know it's a cautionary tale. Uh, I hope he gets the help he needs and and uh, uh, I don't suspect he's got much of a major league future left, but. Uh, um, we'll see what happens for him. What do you have on deck on Fangraphs? And let that be our segue into your beer pick of the week. Um, I'm continuing this Cooperstown notebook thing. I'm actually taking a look at the my starting pitcher system, and we'll have some recommendations for for guys uh, uh, that I think uh, you know from past uh, eras that I think are are strong this, among the stronger candidates based on my system here. Excellent. All right, wash it down. Give me uh, Jay's uh, beer pick for this week. Okay, this one was one that I had on Super Bowl Sunday. We resumed our our Super Bowl parties. had a, had uh, two of my closest friends and and uh, three of their four kids over, and uh, uh, my friend made some ribs and uh, we had a nice time. I had uh, this Kings County Brewers Collective KCBC. Um, it's a, uh, obviously a local brewery. Their Superhero Sidekicks IPA. This is a New England IPA. It's a, it's a hazy one. Uh, this one has uh, um, orange and pineapple up front uh, with a, with a with a piney, mildly bitter finish. Um, it's a really nice beer. One of the better ones from from uh, from this area. KCBC does some really good stuff. Uh, they're alumni from from other uh, local breweries and. Uh, uh, Generally, uh, it's it's nice to see their their stuff on the shelves here locally. Six point nine percent ABV, and I'll tell you what, probably one of the nicest art uh, you can get for a can, right? Yeah, they go all out, very comic book style artwork, uh, especially for this one. Like I said, superhero sidekicks. It's it's uh, uh, you know they don't have any obviously don't have any uh, uh, recognizable characters from the from the big uh, Marvel or DC comics. Uh, but uh, it's pretty cool nonetheless. Let's hope we've got a resolution by next Wednesday so we can talk a little baseball. What do you say? I should hope so, yeah. All right. Have a great weekend, Jay. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Steve. Jay Jaffe joining us, 41 past the hour, for our weekly chat. Come back with more right after KVI News, which is next. When we return, Adrian's movie review, number two. We'll find out what he thought about Point Break as Sports Talk continues, 600 ESPN El Paso. That's the hour. As we continue on Sports Talk, 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. That is 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. Callaway OG1988 tweets the show. Are you surprised KJ Lewis didn't include UTEP in his top eight? Um, We talked about it earlier, Callaway, and no, not really. I mean, I feel like the Miners did their due justice with um, with KJ's recruiting, and I think that they would love to have him. I mean, Joe Golding doesn't hide that. And I also appreciate KJ for going through the whole process with UTEP like he did with everybody else. But, uh, Adrian, I thought it was a long shot to begin with that KJ would ever really look at staying home considering he's played so much uh, out of El Paso to try to get ready for this spot. And ultimately, I mean, you, you know he's a high major talent. 
Yeah, he is. And I, I want to just harp on what you said about the do justice. I think some people were on social media saying, oh, well, UTEP didn't recruit as hard as the others. That's not true. I, I will tell you that right now. That is false because UTEP was at practices of KJ. They were at his games. They were trying to recruit him like no one's business. They wanted KJ to be a minor very badly, uh, but it's just not the case. This yeah. guy, he has other plans, and I think UTEP also understands that they respect that. So I give him a lot of credit for going after him as hard as possible, but I also give credit to KJ Lewis for making uh, you know this decision and shortening his list. I will say this. If Joe Golding was here three years earlier, you know he would have given the same treatment to Tristan Newton that he gave to KJ Lewis. Yeah, you're exactly right. There could have been a chance to have a local pipeline here in El Paso, yep. and not just Tristan Newton, but also his brother Juwan Newton. 100%. Both guys were really good. 100% right. I agree with that. All right. Oh, you know what this music means, folks. This means it's time for us to head over to Adrian Broadus, who gives us another movie review from all of the many movies he's had a chance to now put on his list. Adrian, what would you like to review for our listeners here today? Today is Point Break. 69% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, this was re- by request of you, by request of Cody Decker, that I watched it over the weekend. It's hilarious because uh, it wasn't on any streaming platforms, so I recorded it while it was on AMC television. Fast forward it, uh, fast forward all the commercials, thanks to Hulu Live TV. And uh, my favorite line, adios amigo, um, the skydiving scene, Steve, was excellent. Like that part was my one of my favorites. And you know, it, it's so funny because um, the my, my favorite character, no no doubt, it's Bodie. Like have to. I, if you you can't choose another character in this. Yeah, movie. thank God you didn't tell me Johnny Utah. I'd, I'd really be a little worried about. No, you. no, not at all. But I want to ask you this: Is this a surfing movie, or is this a robbery movie, or is it a is it both? I mean, a little bit of both. I would say there's definitely the. Uh, you know, bank robbing aspect to it, but there's also, of course, the surfing aspect of it because that was the uh, the, the, the subplot I like. So I don't yeah. know. I would probably say this is one of the better surfing movies, but it's not all about surfing. You got to have a little crime and uh, and uh, you know thievery in it as well. I've never seen another surfing movie, so I researched other surfing movies out there, and I wanted to know if any of these are worth watching and adding to my list. Okay, go. Uh, Blue Crush. Ooh, I saw that. No. Endless Summer. No. Chasing Mavericks. Never seen it. Okay, then uh, I That's don't it. need to watch another surfing movie. That's there you good. Go. I'm no, good. This, is, this is the surfing movie to end all surfing movies. I didn't realize that everybody, or uh, Keanu Reeves wanted to surf after this. He, like, took up surfing. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. This, and this by the way, awesome. this was a young Keanu Reeves, but this was Patrick Swayze in his prime. That's the best way to put it. This is a vintage Patrick Swayze. He, he was so awesome in this film, Steve. I would give this one, if I had to grade it, I'd grade it a notch above Warriors for sure. I'd probably give it 9 out of 10 bananas or stars, whatever we're doing. All right. Well, you're going to have to come up with your own uh, things. So it's, okay. Are we, what are we doing? Because we've got this. Let's rotten do bananas. T- All right. So instead of Rotten Tomatoes, you're going to give it 9 out of 10 bananas. Yes, that's right. All right. Have you decided what's next on your list for tomorrow? Okay, I should just go random. Let's check this list. Uh, I don't think this this one should be. We need to go with a like a bad one now. How about uh, I'm just gonna go random. How about we go boogie nights? What about? Oh, that that's one? not a random. First off, 
You better have two and a half hours of your life you're not going to get back. That's for sure. <laughs> and that is not a – I mean, that is not a bad one. You will okay. enjoy Boogie Nights. Trust me. Oh, one I don't my, know any my favorites. of these. I don't know any of these. So, so may, yes. maybe they're good, maybe they're bad. All right. So, Boogie Nights tonight for you. Okay. Let's do it. Good luck. All right. We'll hear about that tomorrow on the show. So, anyway. And I believe that is available – to uh, stream, what's the platform? That might even be on Netflix, if I'm not mistaken. So okay, you might be uh, you might be okay. Do you still have Netflix or no? No, I don't. But I can oh. get a login. No worries. All right, well, give it a shot and uh, see what you can do, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to watch it. If not, we'll make sure we uh, we'll get you a platform to enjoy it. Okay. Okay, I appreciate that. Right. Uh, Cody hooked me up with a great platform. Over That's the probably the platform you're going to need to watch. Yeah, so, I, I probably so. Good, the Cody platform. I like that. Uh, by the way, he's back in town. I think middle of next week, so we'll try to get him on the end of next week and see what we can do there. Sounds good. All nice. Right. Our number two here on Sports Talk, former minor John Bo. Hannon of the Maine Celtics. He'll be checking in with us in less than uh, seven minutes. Sports Talk continues right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. It's the start of hour number two here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody, along with Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. And man, oh man, we've got a really special treat for you here at this point. Not very often we get a chance to Zoom with one of our old favorites from the UTEP men's basketball team, but there he is with the Maine Celtics looking as good as ever, talking about the one and only John Bohannon. Bo, uh, happy Wednesday and uh, great to have you on the show today. How are you? Hey, happy Wednesday, fellas. How y'all doing? Man, we're doing good, but not as good as you and your hair, man. Bo, your hair, I tell you, when our listeners get to watch this on our YouTube feed after the interview is over and they get to see this, they'll understand that you have what I wish I've been dreaming for that head of hair for the last uh, 30 years. And unfortunately, Bo, mine keeps receding while yours keeps growing. So congratulations there. Um, I appreciate it, man. Y'all call me on a on an unbraided day. It's usually braided, but today I just let it Kind of do its own thing today. How long does it take for you to braid your hair? I take about a, uh, forty-five minutes, hour. Okay. So, well, listen, and you're pro. You've been doing that since your UTEP days, right? You're, you're, you're you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had a couple of different hairstyles at UTEP, you know. I remember, I remember. But hey, um, we were talking uh, before we brought you on. Uh, you know, this is your third season with the Maine Celtics right now in the G League. And truthfully, Bo, you are one of the vets of the NBA G League because you've been playing in this league off and on since your uh, UTEP days came to an end. And outside of that stint in Germany during COVID, uh, that's exactly where you've been playing your pro ball in the NBA G League. Right, for the most part. Uh, I've been a. I've been to a handful. I've been to a lot of countries, actually. Um, you know, in between. But mm-hmm. my first year, I did, I did the G League, and uh, I did it for like about half of my second year, and then I did a couple more years in Lebanon, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Dubai, and then I came back about what you say three years ago. So, um, you know, it's they like me up here in Maine, and you know, um, I've learned to like lobster rolls. Let me tell you something. Life could be a lot worse than having your uh, lobster rolls, like you mentioned. That is, to me, one of the great um, delicacies of the northeast part of the country. So the fact that you have – I mean, look, no knock on – we get enchiladas, which we're never going to complain about, and you're getting lobster rolls. So you're doing doing pretty good. (laughs) But this is why when you come back to El Paso, you get your your fix of Mexican food, right? Oh, yeah. We go straight to Avila's, Avila's. Shout out to them. (laughs) 
Hey, my favorite Mexican food restaurant. So, you know, hey, it's it's contrasting. You know, we got the Northeast cold, the Sun City where it's always sunny, baby. That's right. Uh, I heard you woke up this morning about 10 degrees in Maine as you're getting ready to uh, get ready for practice this morning. Yes, yeah, so you know, the other day it was a scorcher. It was like 50 degrees. I almost wore shorts to practice. But, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's usually it's usually around 10, 12, uh, 20 degrees when you wake up. So Now, you're 13 games into the season for the main Celtics. And, again, as we've talked about, you're really one of the veterans, not just on this team but in the league. Last uh, week you had a triple-double, your second career triple-double in the G League. And, you know, that right there, uh, again, you know, double figures in points, rebounds, and assists. Bo, it just shows me that when uh, you're on and things are going well, you pretty much can do it all at this level, can't you? Right. Uh, It's something I've – you know, at UTEP, I, I think I might have led the team in assist one year, maybe one year, but, um, you know, it's something I've always had a talent to pass. And I, it's it's almost better for me when I get a guy open three or, you know, open dunk or something like that. It kind of feels the same as me scoring. So, you know, it's something I like to do. I hear you. Um, at the same time, you know, I, I look at what you've been through all these years professionally, and, and you're still you're 30 years old right now, Bo, but for you, the dream is still getting an opportunity to get called up into the NBA and, and make your NBA debut, isn't it? Uh, I mean, just playing, playing professionally is the dream, you know, and uh, taking this into uh, other endeavors and my experiences in playing professionally into other endeavors, yeah. Uh, I mean, always, you know, you always dream about playing in the NBA growing up. So, I guess you could say, yeah, it's still it's still a dream for sure. John Adrian over here. Wanted to ask you, with this season being what it is for the NBA and just a, a lot of players coming in and out due to COVID-19 issues, has that created more opportunities for you or for others in this league? And how have you been able to just seize these opportunities that have come your way this year? It definitely did. Cause I was probably not going to come back. And then I seen everybody was getting 10 days. And then Maine called me. I'm like, well, you know, hey, might be, might be the time. But um, – I mean, on this team, I think we had like six, seven call-ups, you know, throughout the season. So it's it's been an opportunity for everybody in the G League to, you know, it's this the more most call-ups this year than any other year. So it's been, you know, for the G League players, it's been good. So you're telling me that essentially Maine talked you back into coming back and playing in the G League this year, huh? Oh yes, definitely. I was. I wasn't going to play. I was, I played for uh, the Jordan national team in, um, in the Asia World Cup qualifying. So I'm a, I'm a dual citizen there. I played there against Saudi Arabia. Um, what was that, late November? Mm-hmm. So I went in December and I was just waiting to gear up for the next stage of qualifying. So I wasn't going to play in the G League, but, you know, Maine, Maine called me. Uh, the GM here, Remy, we got a, a, a great relationship. So he called me and said he needed me. And I told him, like, man, I don't know. Give me a week to – give me a little bit to think about it. And then I just decided to come up on on up here after New Year's. So. Very nice. I've been here since 
John Bohannon with us from the Maine Celtics as we continue here on Sports Talk. Um, tell me the story about Jordan and how you essentially uh, became a dual citizen and, and ultimately started playing for their national team. That's a, that's a pretty interesting story in itself, I'm sure. Well, like I said, I've had a career overseas. So I played in Lebanon probably like, well, I think I was 24, 25. And I had I had a real good season out there. I, you know, I was leading the league and rebounding, one leaders in points scored. So um, I think they saw me during my time in the Middle East. And, um, you know, they called, they reached out to my agent and they wanted to know would I be interested in becoming a, a citizen to help them qualify for the World Cup and for the Olympics. You know, um, so me, you know, that's another dream of any basketball player growing up, playing in the Olympics, you know, doing um having that experience so no i took it and as far as uh, what it's been like so far through the qualifying uh, how, how did that go for you uh we went one and one we lost the game we shouldn't have lost uh against saudi arabia at saudi arabia but um you know we're we still i think the, i think they play we play lebanon next so okay. We'll see how that goes, man. We we still got a chance to qualify, so you know we're just gonna keep keep doing what we gotta do, keep trying to get better and, and move on. Are there any uh, other uh, former college players like yourself on the Jordan team, or are you the lone American? No, you can only have one. You can only have one naturalized player at a time playing in each session. So no, it's only it was only me for oh. that session. Very nice. But there were there were other there were other players that might have you know they might have played. In America, like not maybe not D one, but they played. So, you know, but they're American Jordanian. So makes a lot of sense. Uh, meanwhile, Bo, if people have never had a chance to attend a G League game or really watch a G League game, how do you describe it? What's your best way since you've been in this league now, off and on for the last six, seven seasons? How do you just put into words what it's like to play in the G League? <laughs> It's a lot of talent in the G League, man. I think like about almost maybe over half of the players in the NBA have actually have played in the G League. So it's a lot of talent. It's um, it's um, it's a free free flowing game. They're getting up and down, a lot of high flying. Um, we got some of the best fans here in Maine, and um, you know it's it's exciting. It's exciting ba- a brand of basketball for sure. John, since 2014, you've been in uh, Birmingham, Delaware, now Maine. Uh, what has been the biggest change in the G League? They, uh, uh, you know, they are allowing high school players to join in. That's been very popularized across, uh, you know, just to see what they've been able to do. What's been the biggest change uh, since you joined the, the G League in 2014? Oh, well, I mean, uh the, pay, the money has changed for sure. There's, there's a lot more money in the G League now than there was. Um, every team has a G League team now. When I first started, it wasn't like that. You know, you had um, maybe like 20 teams had a team. But, um, you know, it's it's. I think it's overall, there's more talent. There was a lot of talent in the beginning too as well. But... Um, you know, it's just it's just a growing brand. It's just it's it's steady growing and and getting bigger. So, you know, we'll see 
we'll see what happens with these with these new um, rules implanted in college and in the G League. So you know, it's kind of it's kind of it's getting more competitive now. I'd say, you know, from other leagues, you got you got uh, what's the other one? Overseas elite. You got the NIL with the NCAA. You got kids going to the G League. So you know, it's, it's getting more competitive. John Bohannon here on Sports Talk as we continue. What's the average crowd you get? What's the average crowd? Uh, about like twenty. In this, in this one, it's like twenty one hundred. Nice. Do you think so this is? Yeah. Is this something that you think could go over in El Paso if they uh, were ever to get a G League franchise here? Yeah, I think it could. I definitely think it could. I definitely think it could. You know, uh, yeah, I think it could. I mean, I know. I know Denver just started their team, but it's in Grand Rapids. So I don't know how far Denver is from El Paso, but I, I would think that would be closer than Grand. I don't know. I'm not not the biggest geography major, but I think it will work. You know, I think um, El Paso El Paso is a basketball city, man. You know, they love their basketball. They're winning. They're gonna get, they're gonna get behind you. So I think it I think it will work out in EP. Which begs uh, the next question, Bo. Are you still keeping up with UTEP and following the minors this season? I went to a game. God, who they played. They won. No, did they? I, I've been following. I, I saw they were on a win streak. Mm-hmm. I don't know uh, what's going on now or what's happening now. They had won uh, six in a row and then uh, lost the last couple. But uh, yeah, it's been an up-and-down season for the Miners. You know, they've, they've, they probably put together their best stretch a few weeks back. But unfortunately, it's just been hard to maintain that. Uh, they've had injuries and, and some of the other things they've had to battle through. Okay, yeah. Um, it's the first – it's uh, Coach's first year, right? That's exactly. That's correct. Okay, okay yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, he's still got to implement his program. You know, but six-game winning streak during conference, that's impressive, you know, for a first-year head coach. So, and I, um, I like what I saw when I saw him play. And I think coach is going to do a good job and get this thing turned around and on the right track. I'm with you on that one. Now, if fans uh, get an opportunity to watch some uh, some main Celtics basketball um, and, and check you out in action, are, are they going to see the same player you were at UTEP? Or has your style just changed a lot over the years? Um, I mean, uh, I've definitely gotten bigger. You know, I wish I was this way to Utah, but uh, um, no, I'm still, I'm still playing. You know, still doing it all. Uh, I play a little bit more perimeter wise, but uh, I shoot a couple threes there now and then. Now, I didn't really, I didn't really do that much at Utah, but uh, yeah, it's still, you know, it's still me, still me. Still, Bo. I'll wrap it up with this. If you let's just say you get the call to Boston, and because of some injuries and some other things, uh, bingo, they're they're giving you the opportunity to go up there and, and get your first chance to to be uh, on an NBA roster. What would that uh, What would that be like for you? What would it mean to you? It would mean it would mean a lot. You know, I mean, they would have to put my picture up in the gym at UTEP now, and then right because they got all the NBA guys up there. Huh? They have to put my picture up in the practice gym, but uh, you know it would mean good. It would it would mean it would mean a lot to me, uh, you know, because that's every child's that's every that's your childhood dream growing up playing basketball, you know, playing on a big stage. But you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens.
Uh, we're looking forward to it. We're rooting for you, Bo, and uh, congrats on the triple-double last week and uh, continued success out in Maine with the Celtics, and look forward to uh, getting you back in El Paso and having you pop in in the studio with us on the show soon enough. Oh, yeah. When I get down there, we, we're going to set something up. We're going to have to do something. Bring a lobster roll with you when you come home, all right? I got you. I got you. All right. He's John Bohannon uh, joining us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue. Take a break. Come back with uh, Jeff Erickson and a whole lot more right after Charlie One, who has this traffic update for us. Past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. My thanks to Big Bo, John Bohannon, for joining us on the program. And, hey, the fun keeps on going, that's for sure, because we are going to uh, head out to our 600 ESPN El Paso hotline and uh, welcome in Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com, your one-stop shop for fantasy sports to the program to talk a little fantasy sports. Man, oh man, I was thinking about you and uh, I loved the photo you put on your Twitter handle Sunday night. You came so close, so close to enjoying a, uh, a, a, a first for you, a Super Bowl win for the Bengals. Yeah, it was super close. Uh, and, you know, yeah always had that sense of foreboding like okay they're gonna score here they're probably gonna score and of course they got the 17 chances to score at the end um not better about that really i'm not i'm not blaming the rest on this because Bengals still had the ball plenty of time they got into the rams 49 yard line with plenty of time and timeouts just couldn't get it done uh but they they battled hard you know it wasn't like a blowout wasn't like an embarrassing loss or anything like that they deserve to be there. Uh, it was an incredible experience, obviously. Uh, I have an article going up on the site pretty soon if it's not up already. I uh, sent it before I left here today. Uh, and, you know, I, you know no regrets. Uh, so glad we went. Uh, had a time of our lives. That's awesome. Uh, you've been to tons of live sporting events over the years. Um, have you been to an NBA Finals, a World Series, or anything that's a, a championship game like the Super Bowl before? Nothing like this, no. How do you describe no. it? I mean, when you really put it together, how would you, how would you, you know, how would you describe the experience for those of us that have never been to a Super Bowl? Well, first of all, it's overwhelming. It's, and, uh, it's like the sensory overload is really, uh, really acute, especially when you uh, at this stadium, uh, at SoFi Stadium, which I had never been to before. It's a, it's a truly monstrous yet impressive facility. You, know, you can see why it costs five billion dollars to build, but uh, you know, from the moment you walk in, you're just overwhelmed visually and audially, especially uh, audially. Uh, just like there's a DJ going, blasting through their 260 speakers, blasting, which is connected to their m- massive video screen. You think Jerry Dome is huge. This one's bigger, I'm told. Uh, 2.2 million pound video screen hanging from the ceiling. Uh, you know, so think about that, just how heavy that is and how big it is. Uh, so every replay you can see clearly. And then we were at the 500 level, so eh, it was right at eye level, too. Like it's just, it, just, it just washes over you constantly. My ears were ringing until probably midday Monday. Wow. I'm still a little raspy voice-wise. Uh, all worth it, of course. Uh, but it's just, it, it's math. It's just, all, it's an experience, and you just have, you're just in it. Uh, it. It's hard to describe, except otherwise, except it's just, you're immersed in it. Was the halftime show fun to experience from a fan standpoint? Yes, with a ca- couple of caveats. One, we, the, the main stage was facing the other direction. Uh, so that's a little unfortunate. I mean, of course, everybody was, was projected on the video screen, so we saw them from that angle, but they weren't facing us. 
Uh, and two, and I'm going to sound like an old man, but I'm not trying to. Um, it was flat to the point of distortion. Like, I couldn't quite understand everything. Like, there's certain, you know, obviously certain rhythms you could pick up on familiar uh, songs, but not really quite make everything out. Uh, I think I heard on TV it was optimized perfectly, though, and I'm sure that's the intent. Uh, but I, and maybe it's because we were facing the backside, it was harder to pick up on it. Uh, but even still, I enjoyed the halftime show. I mean, just it was so LA. It was perfectly LA. Yeah. Uh, so no problem with that. I, I like the performers. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, everybody, you know, listen, that was one of the better halftime shows we've seen. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to say yeah. it's the best of all time because we've had a lot of them, but it's definitely up there. And that was fun. Prince is my favorite. Yep. Prince was my favorite all time. Uh, I like Tom Petty a lot. Uh, there's a couple others that were really good, but uh, this was up there. This was inner circle. I thought so. Didn't the Stones and McCartney also play the uh, Super Bowl? They did. Uh, I don't. I didn't find them as memorable. Um, I like them. I like the. I like the performers, obviously, but I just didn't find their performances in that particular day memorable. Prince still is the, is the gold standard. For there you me. go. There you go. And as far as the game goes, well, were you upset about P. Ryan getting the ball instead of mixing that? Absolutely. Up? It bothered Absolutely. me, Twice. and I didn't even have any skin in the game in this one. It wasn't just that play at the end of the game, Steve. It was the very first drive. Same scenario. That's the thing that's so galling is they went back to it. Third and one, didn't make it. They went for it on fourth down, didn't make it. Game-changing plays. Yeah. And P. Ryan was in the game on that four, the first fourth down play, too. Lined up on the wrong side, which led to a little bit to the pass breakup. Uh, so, yeah, and all I know all along they, they had used him on third down, and he had that big play in the uh, playoffs uh, in the AFC Championship game against the Chiefs. That was a massive play. So I don't hate on P. Ryan the player, but I, I just don't think – I just want to go out with our best, you know. I want our, our best players to get the chance, and that just didn't happen. You're right. I just feel like, you know what, they didn't do themselves any favors late in the game when they really had an opportunity. And I want to say, I don't want to say the Rams was re- were reeling, but they'd given up the big play to chase. They were moving the ball, and you just kind of yeah. felt like – you just felt that Burrow had some magic left in him. Yeah, and I, yeah, I hated – yeah. And they said, well, they kind of got lulled into it, I feel like. They, they put this look up that looked like they were having a soft front, but it wasn't really a soft front, and they stopped it. And then you get into this fourth down thing, uh, situation where you know they're going to have to pass. You know, that's why I like going a little play action on third down. But you go shotgun snap on fourth down, there's, there's no chance of any trickery, no chance of fooling them. Um, and, of course, the thing that I saw after the game was like Sunday nights, too soon, but seeing that Chase was breaking open on that play, had Burrow had just a smidgen of time, he might have been able to connect and even go for the win on that play. Uh, but that obviously didn't happen. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of things. I wrote it up. A couple other things that were huge. Tyler Boyd never drops the ball, dropped the ball on third down, uh, leading to the punt, which led to the Rams go-ahead touchdown. Uh, you know, he might not have even gotten the first down. There were some people that argued he wasn't going to make it. I don't know. You know, I can't really tell. It, it, that's one thing you don't – not being there, you don't see the, like the, the, the screen, you know, like the yard-to-go line and things like that. You, but the fact is he didn't frustrating obviously uh like that i mean on fourth down on the start of that drive ballsy call uh the going for it aspect of it on their own 30 but also running an end around with cooper cup because their running game was going nowhere they were not successfully running the ball up the middle and i'm sure the Bengals were geared up for that i think thinking they were going to stop them one more time and so that was a great play call by the rams i 
kudos to them for that. It took a lot of courage because you don't make it on your own 30. It opens yourself up for all this criticism. doesn't necessarily end the game, but sure puts it in a much different context, that's for sure. I didn't like all the flags thrown on the last drive for the Rams either, yeah. especially since there were such few penalties called in the entire game. It's like if you're going to be that, if you're going to set that tone, stay consistent. Yeah, well, and well, the, the, the huge one was the third and goal yeah. holding on Logan Wilson that wasn't a hold. It clearly was not a hold. Uh, you could argue maybe a little P.I. after the fact, you know, at the end. It definitely was not a hold. Uh, and then there was the offsetting where the Rams held and the Bengals had the cheap shot. It was a cheap shot. Blame the player for that. For you know, I know he's trying to jostle the ball out so we didn't get the go-ahead touch, and I get it. But that caught that was massive again, Steve. Instead of like first and goal or second, yeah, first and goal from the fourteen, it's all of a sudden first and goal from the one. You're like, okay, fine. And you know, now now it's a matter. Of, let's get the ball back quickly. And then you know. Unfortunately, the, you know, the Bengals used one of those timeouts after the Stafford quarterback sneak and all. But, yes, there were all these – it just seemed like, okay, how many chances are you going to get? It's like the 72 Olympics uh, basketball game between USA and Russia. Okay, let's run that play a third time and see if we get a chance to win the game. But, I, you know, that didn't solve – that wasn't the thing that, uh, that ended the game. What ended the game was the Bengals not being able to convert from the Rams 49. They had them in a good position. They just couldn't get it done. More with uh, Jeff, who, by the way, his article is now up on the website, Super Bowl 56 Bucket List Reactions. It's the cover story at rotowire.com, so oh, nice. check that out. A lot of great pictures, videos. Jeff did a really good job on this. You can check that out up on the website. We'll come right back to Mr. Erickson in a moment, but first, here he is, Adrian Broaddus in Center. Thank you very much. Back with uh, Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com. Again, his bucket list story on Super Bowl 56 is up on the website. I noticed from the pictures, your jerseys didn't arrive in time. Uh, no, I had, I bought, and I had, so the, the jersey t-shirt I bought at the stadium, the only size they had available was a double XL, so I got that. And we got Aaron a t-shirt after the game. The lines were ridiculous on that, and trying to find something in a women's small was also little tricky on that but yeah we uh you know it, I, in fact it still hasn't arrived it's supposed to arrive tomorrow we'll oh. see uh and they canceled the order for errands also which is kind of a bummer so uh we'll find something else for her in due time there but you know. uh you know the good news is she's gonna watch every Bengals game going forward so we still got her so we, that's all good yeah Bengals fan for life that's all that matters were there a lot of Bengals fans at the game yeah absolutely there were more Rams fans as to be expected but Bengals fans traveled really well you could it, I would probably Estimated to be 60-40. Uh, and there was a lot of neutrals, too. In fact, there was a guy, the guy sitting next to me is from England. He, had, he and his mate, you know, just wanted to go to a Super Bowl all along. And they flew over, like, Tuesday beforehand. They're Giants fans, actually. Uh, and he runs, like, two or three dynasty leagues with his buddies back home, which was really cool. A super nice guy. It was cool. So I spent a lot of time in the game talking to him. And great guy. So that was cool, too. If you ever go to SoFi, you tell me, are the 500 section, is it a bad seat in the house or not bad at all? No, it's not bad. I mean, you're up there, obviously, but the sidelines are kind of, are un, they're, they're not obstructed at all. Uh, and, of course, the video screens are amazing. Uh, just be prepared to, you know, you might even bring earplugs. I, I might recommend next time. My ears were ringing all the way through midday Monday. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's overwhelming. Oh, and the secondhand uh, pot smoke was overwhelming, too. But, uh, you know. <laughs> 
that that or pot vape or whatever it's, yeah. it is. I didn't see actual smoke, but I could smell it. So you left the uh, game. So, so even though you lost, you left the game on a high. So to speak, yes, exactly. I, I totally exactly. understand and get it. All right. Uh, hey, listen, it's it's good reaction. It's up on the website right now at rotowire.com. You can check that out. Um, also, I want to mention this. Baseball season does not have an agreement yet, but still a lot of content right now. You've got a lot of draft content going up there because here's what's going to happen, Jeff. They're going to rush things, and drafts are going to go like crazy. So right now, yep. you're getting a jump on it, so you're not just going to have to overload uh, in two weeks every article you need to get people prepared for these leagues. Yeah, absolutely, and get your draft dates set ahead of time. Now, I understand you don't want to do that because we don't have an agreement and all that, but I'll tell you what, if there's an agreement in a week, they're going to compress that spring training. Maybe they start a week late, maybe two weeks late at tops, but the fact is it's going to be this tight window and it's going to be hard to find a date for everyone. So I would still like powwow with your pals, Nathan, figure it out. I know you want to have all the information handy when you make your, when you make your draft decisions. So I get that, but I highly recommend at least being ready for that. And, you know, you, it, do the research now on players that, you know, on their base skills. Now, obviously role play plays a big part of it, but if you know what their skills are like, uh, you have, you have the base knowledge about every player going to save you a ton of time so you're not getting this fire hose of information of signings and spring training news and injury reports and all that at least you'll know what the players are and you'll be able to know what it like you can do simple things like know what positions they qualify at you know know your league rules things of that nature get up to speed on that because i know you've been, most people are thinking about football they haven't been thinking about baseball like i have uh because we're just crazy steve you and i i know that but not everybody's that crazy so now's a good time though nba all-star break is this weekend and the time to do a little bit of your research, research those prospects, all that kind of good stuff. Absolutely, you got to. I, I listen. I, I, I'm I'm trying to contemplate another league that I was invited to, and then I was trying to think how many money leagues am I in right now, and I think the answer is five, and this would make six. And then, and I don't do this for a living professionally like you, Jeff. This is just a, right. a hobby of mine. So you're right. You got to just you know, there's so many leagues, so many drafts. You got to eventually just cut it all off. Hundred percent, absolutely. Uh, and yeah, you know, and you, you definitely uh, know what know what you're capable of putting time into for sure. That's that's always good advice. Hundred percent agree. All right, listen, you've got a lot of stuff uh, up on the website, which I love. Uh, great job today on the show. I'm sorry you didn't get the win. I was rooting for you. I wanted to see you get it. But on the flip side, Adrian won a Super Bowl for the first time uh, in twenty something years. So so there you go, right, Jeff? Yeah, good for Adrian. You know, and I don't begrudge the Rams at all. You know what? They saw a window of opportunity, and they went all in to get it. I, more teams should do that. You know, draft picks be damned. You know, I, 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 I don't need. You know, you got to have a realistic shot, but at the same time, you know, go for it. So many teams just hoard their picks and don't don't spend turn over every stone. I love that they went for it and got rewarded. Jeff, there's this great video going on right now of uh, Joe Burrow introducing all his, himself to all the uh, Rams d- defensive players, and he's like mic'd up and everything. So when you get a chance, check that video out. It's, cir- it's uh, circling Twitter right now. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely rooted for the Bengals during this stretch. It was a great game. So um, yeah, all respect to the Bengals for making it that far. Uh, thank you much. Appreciate you, Adrian. And yeah, nothing but love for Joe Burrow. Uh, just keep him healthy, please. Uh, you know, I know they say improve that offensive line. They did try to do it this offseason. Easier said than done, but, yes, let's, let's, let's protect uh, this guy because he is something special. When they do and they get him protected, 
watch out. Sky's the limit with what that team can do in the in the years to come. Exactly, exactly. You get those three guys operating in space, give them just an extra half a second, and, yeah, it, it's going to be trouble for a lot of opposing teams. As I mentioned, a lot of baseball material up on the website, but when you go to rotowire.com and you get a chance to check it out for the very first time, make sure you get a chance to read Jeff's bucket list reactions up on the site right now at rotowire.com. Terrific stuff. I look forward to having you back next week, Jeff. Super. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Thanks, Adrian. There you go. Jeff Erickson, you're welcome with us here as we continue on the program. 39 past. Plenty more coming up. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues. We're 20 minutes away from getting Ben Carlisle's prediction on what to expect tomorrow when the Miners and La Tech hook up on the big rematch in their men's basketball series. That's still to come live right here on 600 ES Piano Paso. Take you up till 7 o'clock on a windy, windy day here in the Sun City. The windy city today. Forget Chicago, it's El Paso, right, Adrian? Yeah, it's crazy out there. Did you get a chance to eat some dirt earlier today when the wind was blowing pretty good? Yeah, I did. And it seems like everything in this area, like I was getting out of my car, wind in my mouth. It seems like everything is getting canceled right now. We got the NMSU men's basketball beer garden canceled ahead of their basketball game tonight. The softball game for UTEP canceled. Yeah, the winds are not fun right now. Poor Mocha. He invited me to the game tonight. I'm like, Mario, I've got a show till 7 o'clock. As much as I would love to join you, um, yeah, I still have a, a regular gig, a regular day job. I can't just uh, take the show off to come out to Cruces and go watch a basketball game. But the, it, was the, uh, it was the invitation that counts, right? That's nice. Uh, shout was. out Mocha. Yeah, Mario is always thinking about us. Always thinking. All right. Hey, we got to go head out uh, to uh, our pal Ben Carlisle from BleedTechBlue.com and get uh, the lowdown on what's going to be happening tomorrow at this time when the Miners and La Tech tip off at 5.30 here in El Paso. We're only on until 5 tomorrow. One hour of sports talk before we get you ready for UTEP and La Tech round number two, or as Ben calls them, the Dunkin' Dogs. What's going on, Ben? Welcome back to the show. How are you? Absolutely, fellas. I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on tonight. Thanks for being on with us. We appreciate it. And this is going to be a pretty interesting matchup, isn't it? 18 and six, La Tech having another great year. Nine and three in the league, going up against the UTEP team that seemingly was on the way to have that same kind of mark in Conference USA, but they've lost their last two to North Texas and most recently to Marshall, which puts them at seven and five to 14 and 10 overall. In what I would say will be a pretty anticipated rematch, given the way the first game went uh, in El Paso. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I think when you look at it from UTEP's perspective, uh, I, I think it's a different team uh, that Louisiana Tech will be facing off with when compared to when they first met uh, back on January 6th. It feels like, uh, from an outsider's point of view, that Joe Golding uh, ha- has really uh, gotten his message across to his players as far as what he wants to do, uh, both on the offensive and defensive ends of the floor. And then you look at Louisiana Tech, you mentioned – 18-6 and six overall, 9-3 and three in the league. Um, it, it's a tech team. We talked back in January, missing Isaiah Crawford, obviously a preseason all-conference forward. I think when you uh, look at some of the recent losses that Louisiana Tech's had, UAB, uh, North Texas, and on the road at FAU, excuse me, uh, they would have loved to have Isaiah Crawford. But uh, at the end of the day, that, that's not a luxury they have for this year. And, uh, they're playing with that same four-guard lineup that we talked about back in January. Uh, played through the post a lot with Kenneth Lofton Jr., but at the end of the day, night in and night out, and I think this will be the same story tomorrow evening 
uh, how well will Tech's guards play uh, against UTEP's ball pressure that they like to put on the ball? Uh, I think that's ultimately what will determine uh, the outcome of this game. Well, the first time around, the guards played great because we thought that if UTEP did a good job of containing Loft and he had a really good chance to win. And he only had 11 in that game against the Miners, but he did grab 18 boards, and it was the guards that destroyed UTEP. In fact, Lofton didn't even have to play that much in the game, and everybody else was just picking up the slack for him against the Miners. Yeah, and uh, like I said, I think that's a big key for Tech. You look at some of the overall statistics for this season. Tech's twelve and one when Kobe Williams scores in double figures. The one game that they did lose, uh, he scored thirteen on the road at FAU last week, but eight of those came in the final minute of the game uh, when the game had really been decided. So uh, that's a big key for Tech. Kobe can struggle uh, from his point guard position when he gets some different looks uh, from teams on the defensive end, and then. Uh, of course, Amari Archibald, he, he's nearing uh, 150 career games, played at Louisiana Tech. Of course, he got an extra year uh, due to COVID. He's been so consistent. But uh, really, the, the guy that uh, probably doesn't get enough praise for this Tech team is Keaston Willis. Uh, he's a transfer from Incarnate Word. He's been in double figures his last eight games. I think he's shooting 47% from the three-point line over that time frame. And uh, like, like I said, these guards – for Louisiana Tech with all the attention that Lofton's going to garner in the post, uh, they have to be able to knock down open shots when given the opportunity. Ben, do you do a lot of people out in La, at La Tech wonder what if with uh, Isaiah Crawford, had he been healthy, what this team would look like at a full complement? I feel like, not necessarily thinking he's the missing piece, but if they had him, uh, you know, those losses against uh, North Texas, uh, UAB, maybe those losses are actually wins. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think, too, uh, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. Sometimes you lose a game to a UAB, you lose a game to a North Texas, and you do wonder what if. But on the opposite side of that, you were at 1.15-3 and 7-0 in the league. And it's kind of like, well, if you got to that point, why can't you truly compete with a UAB and North Texas? It's not to say that they didn't play those teams extremely tight. But I think that – you know, for Tech fans, when you're living in the moment, so to speak, it's hard to say, man, I wish we had this guy. I wish we had that guy. I think that'll be more of a reflection uh, for Tech fans. and We'll ultimately see here uh, in three or four weeks when we get down to Frisco if they could make a run in the conference tournament. But uh, like you said, I think if Tech had Isaiah Crawford, they're probably the clear-cut favorite within the conference, not just because of his talent, but it gives them – uh, another bigger body inside at six foot six uh, that can play that stretch four role that they've really struggled to fill throughout the year. Ben Carlisle with us here on Sports Talk as we continue talking about uh, UTEP and the Duncan Dogs of uh, La Tech. Hey, we checked out the numbers. Lofton's been playing pretty consistent basketball all season, hasn't he? Really gives you close yeah. to 20 a game and 10 boards. He's really good. He does. He gives you 17, 18, 19 points a game, pulls down 11 or 12 rebounds. I think. Uh, the thing that's really showed up over the last two to three weeks, especially, he's seeing a lot of different looks, a lot of different double teams uh, coming from different areas of the floor. His passing ability is so underrated. Uh, and you go back to the last six games for Tech, they're shooting 40% from the three-point line. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to his passing out of the post when he sees some of those double teams. Uh, and like we've talked about before, you, you show up at a game, whether you're in El Paso, you're in Ruston, uh, wherever you might be across the country watching him on TV, 
It's not going to wow you with his body and his physique, but you start to watch him play the game. He's really good. He can do a number of different things on the floor. And really, the, 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 the easiest way to put it is he's just a winning basketball player. He kind of does what Tech needs him to do on a nightly basis. Absolutely, and that's in the key. Uh, you know, it's a shame that when we look at the uh, league, it's another year where, you know, and I've argued this with people. Some people have said, well, you know, Mountain West isn't anything special. Well, the Mountain West right now has four teams projected into the NCAAs, just like the American Athletic and everybody else. And CUSA is its usual one-bid league self. The league has tried so hard, Ben, to get themselves multiple bids. And even though their their automatic qualifier wins in the first round every year, it never seems to matter. No, it's really unfortunate. I think a lot of that's due to... Uh, you look at a year like this, the bottom half or the bottom three or four teams in the league drag the conference down so far from a net standpoint, an RPI standpoint, you know, whatever metric you want to look at. And we, we've talked a lot uh, with Eric Cockle here and Rustin about that point. And, you know, you, you look at some of the different statistics. I think Conference USA uh, the second highest home winning percentage uh, within the league. So it's a really tough place to go on the road and figure out a way to get a conference road win. Uh, I think the league's like fifth in the country out of 30-something conferences and three-point field goal percentage. Uh, you look at the quality players across this league, we could go on and on and on uh, about different guys across different programs. Uh, that Quite honestly, they can beat you on a nightly basis, um, not by themselves, but you go to a opponent's floor and a guy goes off, like, for instance, Tech at UTEP, Back on January 6th, the enemy goes off for 28. There's a number of players across this league that can put up that type of production. It, it really is unfortunate because I think it's better than a one-bid league. Uh, but nonetheless, it, you know, I, I think the conference from a basketball standpoint will be better off when some of this conference league alignment settles down yeah. and they can drop down from 14 to either 9 or 10 teams. Like I'm looking right now at the latest net rankings according to the NCAA's official website and right now North Texas has a, a net of 43 UAB is 49 so that's two schools in the top 50 in the net rankings and then La Tech is third at 95 so you think about it I mean if those two schools maintained to be in the top 50 going into the tournament and let's just say La Tech upset one of them, or they both, you know, or one of those two gets in and the other one loses. It just seems like it's a crime that uh, we don't get uh, multiple teams from the league in well, this year. And it's like you said, five of the last six years, I believe, is the official number that a Conference USA team has won a game in the first round of the NCAA tournament. It's not like it's a one bid league that hops in there and bows out in the round of 64 and the season's over for Conference USA. It's a league that wins a tournament game nearly every year. And going back to the point about the overall conference, I think one of the beauties of this conference is just all the different contrasting styles that you get on a nightly basis. You look at a team like North Texas, they're not going to wow anybody with their talent. But Grant McCaslin, he's got his system in there. They'll ground, grind you out offensively, defensively. UAB gets up and down the floor a little bit. You have some teams that like to press. You have – Western Kentucky's got the big kids sharp inside. There's just so much quality basketball uh, across this league, and it's, it really is. Honestly, it's a, it's a shame that it's not a multi-bid league. Is there anybody else who's going to win Conference USA Player of the Year other than Kenneth Lofton? 
Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think you go back to that Tech UAB game a few weeks ago, and Rustin Jordan Walker for UAB went off for I think he had thirty six. He hit nine of thirteen or nine of fifteen, and I think from three point range, and so that kind of jumped him into the discussion uh, as far as who's going to be the conference USA Player of the Year. I think it would be between Walker and Lofton. Uh, I'm sure Lofton has a probably a little bit of a step ahead of Walker right now. Uh, but obviously there's six games left here in the regular season. Louisiana Tech set to travel to UAB, I believe it's on March the 5th. Uh, so it, it could come down to kind of that last game and which player's team uh, finishes ahead of the other in the conference standings. Meanwhile, if you had to predict what's going to happen tomorrow, I would think UTEP would come at this game a little differently than they did last time. Probably try to play the guards a little more, uh, a little more tight, and maybe um, I don't know what they're going to do with Lofton. I mean, can you play the guards tight and play Lofton the same way they did the last time, or do you think uh, maybe they'll they'll try to let Lofton get the ball a little bit, but? limit his uh, rebounding activity since you obviously can't have the big man pulling down 18 boards against you and expect to win. Yeah, I think from UAB for, or UTEP's perspective, excuse me, I think the key will be the ball pressure on the guards. Um, you talk about how you defend Lofton. I think the best way to attack him uh, is try to switch up your defense. It's come with double teams at times. Uh, let him go one-on-one at times. and He's going to score uh, when he gets in some one-on-one spots. And I think the the thing that gets opposing teams into trouble is when they just try to man up on him on the whole game, and he can kind of uh, he can kind of just back you down. You, you guys have seen how he does it. He's real methodical. He can kind of get you down in the post and he gets an easy jump hook or an easy lay-in. Uh, I think you got to come at him with multiple coverages. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe some three-quarter court press uh, for UTEP just to try to slow the pace of the game down because when Louisiana Tech does struggle offensively, uh, it's in the half court. Uh, it's when it takes them, you know, 10, 15 seconds into the shot clock to get things going into their different sets offensively. Uh, I think that's the big key for UTEP on the offensive end or on the defensive end. Offensively, um, Louisiana Tech, prior to the last uh, three, four games, have been really good defensively throughout the year, but they've struggled on that end. Uh, from a rebounding standpoint, they're allowing a bunch of three-pointers to go down. I know I mentioned that Tech was shooting 40% from behind the three-point line over the last six games. They're also allowing opponents to shoot 39%. That includes a four-for-26 effort from Rice a few weeks ago. So Tech's really struggled to defend the three-point line. Uh, and I think it's going to be an exciting basketball game here in Ruston tomorrow night. I think so, too. Again, you want to see more and learn more about La Tech, go to bleedtechblue.com. Check out Ben's work. He's got the preview up right now, plus some other articles up uh, pertaining to La Tech, which is bleedtechblue.com. All right, before I let you go, uh, quick question. Are we starting the 2022 football season with 14 schools in CUSA or 11? I think we ultimately get to a uh, settlement. Uh, I think that's Judy's goal, but does anyone know what Judy really wants these days? I don't think uh, any of us on this planet have that answer. So I'll say we we go into 2022 with 11 teams in the league after a an ugly public settlement 
in which, of course, Conference USA comes out the bad guy once again. Which means we're going to have to revise our stories about the 2022 football schedule since La Tech, like UTEP, is containing a couple of those schools that are going to be uh, that are going to be departing soon. It's the CUSA way. It never gets run too smoothly. You know what we should do? We should create T-shirts that say it's the CUSA way and then just make uh, and then sell them. And then we're going to make a fortune off of that. That would be perfect. Until until the cease and desist comes down, Ben, we're going to do really well in that department. (laughs) No doubt about it. No doubt. Great to have you on the show again. Thanks for the time. We'll look forward to the next time we get to chat with you. Have a good one. You too. Ben Carlisle with us. BleedTechBlue.com as we continue. It's the CUSA way, Adrian. I think that's awesome. We're all the forgotten uh, bunch here in Conference USA, and uh, I love that. I think that we could use that for every excuse out there in this league. We should, right? That's exactly what we should do from now on. All right. Hashtag it's the CUSA way. I like that. Hey, here's Charlie One with traffic. 18 past as we continue. Welcome back, everybody, as we continue here on Sports Talk 22 now past the hour. Um, looking at those net rankings, UTEP right now is 171, by the way. Last week they were 172, so apparently losing a Marshall didn't really dent their net ratings, which I guess is good. But uh, the interesting thing is this. In CUSA, you have North Texas, UAB, and La Tech in the top 100, and really North Texas and UAB are in the top 50. Then you've got Middle Tennessee is fourth, Western Kentucky's fifth, Florida Atlantic sixth, UTEP is seventh, right in the middle of this league. Yeah, and I've seen them, Steve, uh, in Ken Palm, they're ranked 180. They were last week uh, before the Marshall game, 168. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was probably one of their biggest dips in a while as far as ranking goes on the Ken Palm side of things. But point is, they're still in the middle of the pack. It's where we thought they would be at kind of in the middle of the season, the the place where they were at fourth yep. uh, at one point of the season. Yeah, it just seems like it's it's not going to be uh, as easy to come by this uh, this last stretch. No, that's true. That is very true. So um, we will see how things go. It is kind of interesting, though, when you look at it, because uh, North Texas is gone, UAB is gone, um, and then and you look at the teams that are, like, really staying. FIU is terrible, and they're 247 in the net rankings. They're bad. But Southern Miss is gone. They're 329. UTSA is gone. They're 336. So that's as bad as it gets. Um then you've got Marshall, they're leaving, they're 243. Old Dominion's leaving, they're 213. Rice is out of here, they're 195. Charlotte's gone, it's one, they're 186. Um, Florida Atlantic is leaving, they're 125. Western Kentucky is staying, La Tech is staying, uh, Middle Tennessee is staying. And, you know, you look at that list, I mean, that's not bad. You've got 95, 114, 123, 171. So they're all kind of in that 95 to UTEP's 171 range. And then, of course, FIU brings up the rear at 247. But a lot of the garbage is out of here in terms of college basketball. They're all taken off. Yeah, I'm going to reel off some of the newcomer teams that are coming in. Sam Houston State, 152. Liberty, 106. New Mexico State, they're in the top uh, 100 at the last I checked. So uh, that, that that's a good start right there for the teams that they will acquire. Yep. New Mexico State checking in at 92. Yep, 92 for NMSU. All right, that's not bad. Not bad at all. Actually, 83. 
80, I've got, oh, I'm I've looking got at MSU at Ken Palm. At, I'm yeah, looking at Ken Palm. I'm looking at net rankings. So I've got 83 for NMSU. And um, who else is coming? Anybody else coming from the WAC? Sam Houston, you said, right? Right, Sam Houston State. 159. That's solid. Anybody else? Or is uh, that not from the WAC. Who else are we looking so at? So we're looking at Liberty. We're looking at uh, Jackson State. Where does Jackson State play? What league? Um, let me check. Let me see. They play in the A-Sun. A-Sun. All right, let me check them out. Hang on. Do that oh, they're in uh, Ken Palm. They're 190. 107. Liberty's 107. Jacksonville State's 155. Nice. So it's an nice. improvement in basketball. It is an improvement. Is, a big yeah. improvement. We're going to have nine schools, and you know what? Even though FIU is going to bring up the caboose in this thing, everybody else is in pretty much the hundreds. So, hey, if they all beat up on each other and do well in the non-conference, it could actually improve the quality of this league. It yeah. can't get any worse. This league sucks when it comes to the fact they ever get an automatic bid. Yeah, not to mention how bad their the, the conference attendance is across the league. So, you know, you get the excitement from the Liberty fan base. You get the excitement from Las Cruces and uh, those those are two very encouraging fan bases that you're going to acquire. This tweet came in earlier in the show from the Mayor LC. Proud of Adrian for becoming even more cultured by taking in classic movies of the past. Ooh, Boogie Nights. Shout out, Eddie. I uh, I am definitely become even more cultured. I think you're gonna be. I think you're gonna be watching uh, Boogie on um, on on Dex app. By the way, I think that's probably where you're gonna end up seeing it. Yeah, that's probably right. If it's not there, I might pivot and look to another movie. Uh, save Boogie Nights for uh, one of the. See, I was lucky with Point Break because it just so happened that it it was like airing at like 11:30 at night on AMC. So I just you know on Hulu TV you can record it, and I just did it like that. All right, I didn't know if Point Point Break's not on any of the other apps. No, yeah, really? oddly enough, that is strange. I yeah. usually just go to IMDb because they, they show you which uh, streaming services have every movie. Yeah, I need to just kind of plan ahead and, and kind of start recording it for, like, the week and stuff. You, you know, because they always rerun these types of movies on TV. I'm trying to decide what your backup should be if, if you can't get in Boogie Nights. Now, hopefully you can get in Boogie Nights. Okay, I'm going to reel off some uh, some potential ones, okay? Raging Bull, uh, Eight Men Out. These cool. are the first on the list. Those are the sports movies. Okay. I mean, Raging Bull would be a classic Talk if you have seen that. Uh, I might have a hard time finding that one. Let's put it that way. That's uh, a that's that's one of the more obscure ones because it's from the late '80s with uh, Eric Bogosian. So you might have a hard time with that. You said um, Raging Bull, right? Yes. All right, let me see if let me see where I can find where where that movie is showing right now because that should be definitely in one of the. Um, let's see. Uh, Hulu, perfect. Yeah, it is on Hulu. There you go. Okay, right. you're backup. All, you're all set. All right, sounds good, good to me. Yeah, it's a good backup. Oh, and it's a boxing movie. I you, like it. You didn't know that? No. It's about Jake LaMotta. Okay. He's a real person, by the way. All right. So, yeah. Also has Joe Pesci. Wow. This is a Scorsese, uh, a Scorsese movie? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Boy, I'm man. in. The things you're going to be learning with this deal. Robert hey, De Niro. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know that either? No. Oh, my God. No, I yes. didn't know. Yes. Yes. I'm ready for this movie. All right. I might pivot just uh, you might. Anyways. You might blow up Boogie Nights and yes. go right over to Raging Bull, huh? Yeah, this looks great. I won an Academy Award. I would hope you would like that. That should be pretty good for you. Uh, 28 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. I do agree with Carlisle, by the way, in the fact that I think when it's all said and done, which is why yesterday's schedule announcement was such a joke, or Monday, whatever day it was. Look, there's going to be 11 schools in Conference USA. I don't think they keep the three. I really don't. 
you it's so hard to keep Marsh the, the three schools that want to leave. How do you keep them one more year? Yeah, I, I don't understand what the benefit. I mean, we talked about the benefit yesterday being a monetary benefit, but if you're a CUSA, cash out now, hold on to the money now, and when those schools are coming in, which you're excited about, you open the doors for those schools, NMSU, Jackson State, Liberty, and so on and so forth, when they come in and they need some financial relief, Conference USA can provide resources. All right. Um, Ed McDonald wants to know about the comparison of attendance what the average could be once the new schools come in. Could we take a look at that? I mean, listen, I don't know what Liberty draws. I know the Aggies are drawing around five a game. Um, Jacksonville State, I have no idea. So I would think that when it's all said and done, attendance will not be much different than we have it right now. I'm pulling up Liberty's uh, stats so I can find out their season attendance. I will tell you this. When you just look at Liberty's fan interaction on social media, they have a rabid fan base. Like if we, uh, if down the line we're talking about Liberty as a possible rival to UTEP, I wouldn't be surprised. And in terms of crowd and attendance, they draw 3,250. That's their average. Right in line with everybody else. Yeah, that's CUSA's average. That is phenomenal. I mean, the truth is that. That's exactly what you would expect from these teams that are coming in. Although the Aggies will probably be drawing more fans, I would think, than uh, anybody else of the newcomers. In fact, let me see what their average attendance is. Their average attendance right now per home game, 59-20. Okay, okay. So they they might lead Conference USA. They would lead Conference yeah. USA. It wouldn't even be close. Right. Because I think the leader is like at five. You know that's gonna be that's gonna be something, Steve. That we're gonna bring up a lot, like future storylines in conference. You say we are gonna compare UTEP's attendance to NMSU's attendance all the time. One hundred percent. Why would we now? Yeah, so they're gonna be same conference league. mates. That's right. Who else from the WAC is coming in? Um. Also, Sam Houston State. That's oh, yeah. one. That's one other. Yeah, let's we could check out. You think they draw over two thousand a game? Um. I. I'm gonna say yes. They had. They have a good team this year. All right, let me see what they let me see what they're doing. Let me get their stats up. Hey, in the meantime, Adrian's coming back. He's got uh, one last bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Thank you, Adrian. All right, I'm pulling up uh, attendance numbers right now for Sam Houston State and also Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State is averaging. Hmm. 1,635 fans per home game. 1,635. Okay. Still not the worst when you're comparing it to other conference teams, Oh, uh, Just right? wait till I give you Sam Houston State. Okay. Give it to me. 534 fans uh, per game. Man, it's tough. That's tough right there. Um, I don't even know what the arena holds. I don't know what it holds either. I just also saw a COVID update from Liberty, so I don't know if this they, they counted like season attendance numbers or season ticket holder numbers or whatever, but they are only allowing uh, 50% capacity at their home games, so they've, uh, they've actually capped out on most of their home games with their strict attendance issues for Liberty. So That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, they, and they're still, still drawing fans. Yeah, they're still drawing fans. That's right. At fifty percent, they're drawing all right. That's right. That's exactly right. Interesting. I would love to know what the arena holds for Jacksonville State. Uh, thirty-five hundred. Oh, okay. Pete Matthews Coliseum, thirty-five hundred. High school basketball gyms again, huh? Yes, that's correct. What do you think the uh, arena holds in um, for Sam Houston? 
I'm going to guess, I'll, I'll guess right around that same range. 33, 3,200. I'm looking right now. Uh, 61. Wow. Wow, so they are just not getting people. That's that's, that's pathetic. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. How at do you all. average? How do you average five hundred fans a game for a six thousand seat arena? Yeah, that's that's real bad. By the way, the Vine Center uh, out uh, with Liberty that holds nine thousand five hundred forty seven. Very nice. Okay. Good arena. All right, our four schools coming in for basketball. Take it from five to nine, starting in a, yes nine in twenty twenty three. Excited about that. Um, by the way, some football news for you. How about this? How about the fact that uh, you're going to love this? Aaron Donald, Sean McVay, running it back is what they want to do with next season with the L.A. Rams. They didn't uh, – alcohol didn't influence their no. answers on this? Okay, good. No, that was sober. Okay, awesome. I, I'm, I'm very happy and encouraged about it. Look, with Aaron Donald, he's now like the eight, seventh or eighth uh, highest paid player on defense. So I think for him, it's it's probably contractually based when he had those rumors leak, leaking out that he would leave. This guy's only eight years in. I mean, I could see this guy playing till 35, 37, as long as the Rams try to pay him. And if they don't pay him, he's going to go somewhere else. And same with McVay. He's, he wants to get paid too. I mean, why would Aaron Donald not keep playing? He's still yeah. at the top of his game. I also think, like, why wouldn't you want to sign with the Rams? You're in L.A., you can get endorsements, even if you're not making a big contract right now. There's a ton of opportunities out there in L.A. You see the story that uh, right now it looks like um, Deshaun Watson wants to go to the Bucks or the Vikings? Wow, the Bucks? Why the Bucks? That's so interesting. That fit would be so interesting over there. Now, I know uh, the Vikings are introducing O'Connell as their head coach, and uh, if O'Connell's model with uh, Matt Stafford as their quarterback with the Rams has anything to to say or show off with the league. Maybe Deshaun Watson's thinking, I could fit there. I loved what Matt Stafford did in the with the Rams. I love that system, and I would love to play with Minnesota. Well, look at what's going on in Tampa, okay? You already have a team that's built to win, that Bruce Arians put together. You lose Tom Brady. You need an experienced vet to go in there. So whether it's Russell Wilson, potentially, if he goes out of Seattle, or a guy like Deshaun Watson, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I just I wonder about the Bucks' weapons, both on offense and defense. They had a lot of contract issues. I mean, Godwin's out with that ACL injury that he had. They, they'll bring back Evans, who's the best receiver for them, no doubt. I'm curious what they do at the running back spot, if they move forward with uh, Leonard Fournette, if they keep Jones back there. They, they need to kind of, uh, I, I guess, be aggressive in the first free agency period and I also find it interesting that there hasn't been the door closed yet on Tom Brady retiring now we're hearing little breadcrumbs here and there that he could come out well I, I don't think he's coming back this next season well maybe not Tampa Bay but maybe somewhere else you think he announced his retirement and then two weeks later he decides to show up again? Yes, this guy's crazy. I do. Th- I I'm not saying it's a surefire. I say it's a possible that Tom Brady can definitely come. I mean, if I San Francisco listen, comes calling, if Miami comes calling, you're why, telling me no. I think. Well, first off, he retires so he doesn't have to worry about committing anymore to uh, to Tampa. That's for sure. I think he gives it a year. Sees what's going on a year from now, and then he'll decide if he wants to come back and play. I say he waits till the summer, that June July period, because he he can vacation all right now. He doesn't have to make a decision. But he does that anyway all the time, right? Sure, that's, that's his normal. That's his normal routine. Well, I'm thinking. I'm just thinking a six month window, like a six month rental for Tom Brady from late July yeah. all the way through the rest of the year. If you had to ask me, 
Would I bet my money on it? is he coming back or staying retired? I would absolutely put it down to saying he's coming back. I just don't know when. But I think at some point, Tom Brady will play again in the NFL. I just don't know when that's going to be. Yeah, if he has the itch this year or next year or whatever. I wonder how coveted he will be or if there there are even conversations behind closed doors. I mean, now that we heard the lawsuit from Brian Flores talk about an unnamed quarterback who is on their radar by Stephen Ross, their owner, I'm curious if the Dolphins reopen that conversation and really try to make a push for Tom Brady or if, if Tua is their quarterback and their new coach just wants to roll with Tua. Oh, so many good points. So many good points. Anyway. Some good NFL nuggets for you here at 39 past the hour. We'll come back and wrap it up. Put an end to this three-hour extravaganza and look ahead to tomorrow's one-hour show. Man, it's going to be awesome. You have to, we have to get it all packed in 60 minutes for you tomorrow. All right, we'll do that coming up. 600 ESPN El Paso.